This is AutoLine Extra, available exclusively on the Internet. Here again is John McElroy. Welcome to this Internet discussion of naming cars with Nina Beckhart, the president of Namebase, also with uh, Gene Halliday from AdAge and Peter DeLorenzo from Auto Extremist. Nina, tell us a little bit about Namebase. I mean, how do you get a job coming up with names? How do you have a whole company naming things? I'm sure there are companies who say, what do you mean we're going to pay somebody to come up with a name? It's true. It's, um, and it's the kind of thing where companies will uh, try to name internally, um, big or small, and realize that it is a task. It's difficult. So that's why companies like Namebase exist. Um, we are name creators. We are naming advisors. Uh, so much of a name is, is not only does it say something in one or two words, does it encapsulate your brand, your message, and the personality of the product or company that you're naming, but uh, it has to be a name that's safe from a trademark standpoint and from a linguistic standpoint. So um, not only do we develop uh, hundreds of names for each project that we do, but uh, we also make sure that uh, the clients see names that are that are safe, that are ownable. Um, we do trademark screening both um, nationally, internationally, and uh, for top names we do linguistic screening to make sure not only uh, do we try to avoid um, negative associations, but just we like for there to be positive associations, and we really like to pay attention to if a if a name is euphonic or not. What do you mean euphonic? which means on a very basic level, does it sound good? Is it fun to say? Is it easy to pronounce? Can you spell it? Uh, is there confusion generated or not? Those are all things that go into developing a strong brand name. Have you ever had clients that when you give them the name, they, they come back and go, we could have thought that up. We're not paying you. <laughs> well, um, a lot of what we do, we generate uh, hundreds of names for each project, but we call down recommended names. And so we are never going to come to a client and say, this is your name. You have to choose this name. We work with them to um, hone down their positioning, which isn't always solidified when they come to the naming stage. We work with them to position and, and settle in and narrow in on a name. So there's always options on the table. Um, but you know, some of the names can be really descriptive and really kind of duh, if you will. But um, that's, you know, they can't always arrive at it. So that's why we're here. Peter, you've been involved in advertising in automotive circles for a long time. You ever run into naming? I, I mean, I got to believe this has been a big deal in the industry for a long time. Well, occasionally they'd ask the agency, agency type to contribute names, but we always felt they never really paid attention to us. So we always liked doing it. As I'd get my creative groups to fire up over it. And we'd submit a bunch of names, but nothing ever came of it. It is a big deal, though, isn't it, Gene? I mean, it's important to come up with the right name for a product. It is, and I do have a, I do have a, um, it's mystery to me why Ford, all their cars start with an F and all their SUVs were starting with E's. It's just... Um, well, almost all their cars. Nina, well, why, no. why would you do that as a, as a car company? You know, have every... And Toyota, for a while, every car seemed to start with a C. You know, Corolla, Camry, etc. Um, a couple points. Uh, I've always said um, no brand is an island, so no name can be created in a vacuum. So on a basic level, Ford 
naming cars with an F, you have alliteration there, the Ford Fiesta, the Ford Flex. That double F sound is euphonic, is pleasing to the ear. Um, it's also memorable. So humans naturally look for patterns and symmetry. They like to hear that, that repetition of the F sound. That's what I'd say. And, and then also, um, putting it further into context, when you develop a new name, you have to look at how it's going to sound with the parent brand, so how it's going to sound with Ford, but then how it's going to sound amongst all the other models that's, that have already been released. So when you have all these car names that start with an F or with a C, it shows that you've really thought out your brand synergy, your brand portfolio. That to, to the public says, well, you know, you know, it's not mumbled, jumbled together. It's not pick from here, pick from there. They really thought about it. Even though it can, uh, to some, seem a little arbitrary at some points, it patterns are, are comforting and, and seen as strength in a, in a brand sense. So your company's been hired to name some cars, right? Tell yes. us about where you've been involved in from an automotive standpoint. Uh, we've named cars for Kia, um, the Kia Rondo, Sorento, and Picanto. Uh, as you'll notice, they all end in O. So we kind of set off that theme. Um, the O sound is distinctly masculine, um, and it's, it's sharp. It has a good ending point, Picanto, Rondo, Sorento. Um, we also named the Forenza for Suzuki. Uh, Forenza, uh, from a naming standpoint, is, is really strong. You have F, which is a fricative sound. It creates friction when you say it, Forenza, and the R-E-N sound in the middle, uh, combined with that Z, sounds almost like a rev of an engine, Forenza. So that's why we like that name. Well, what do you think of Peter's last name? Della Renzo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Best of both worlds. <laughs> I've always wanted to do my own car, John. <laughs> Might be put put me over the edge. <laughs> what about uh, you, you know you 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 had mentioned in the broadcast version of how you guys check out names on an international basis. We've had some car names that sound great in America, and you get them overseas, and it doesn't work at all. Mm -mm. In fact, maybe not even so far overseas, up north into Canada, and all of a sudden, names that are perfectly acceptable here are you know the epitome of profanity in, say, French-Canadian. Right, right. And one of the ones that, that I could definitely speak to, um, the Buick Lacrosse, which was totally fine, you know, in the United States. And when it got up to Canada in, in Quebec, um, Lacrosse can, is seen in some circles as a term for masturbation. And it's a very small uh, group of people that associate it with that. But as soon as uh, the critics catch wind of that, that is so easy to be bandied about. Um, yeah. I'd like to call it the giggle factor, where you know, as soon as someone brings that up, then it spreads like wildfire. And well, Mitsubishi had the same problem with the Pajero, which was an SUV that they had uh, about a decade ago, which again, Pajero is fine here, but in certain countries in Latin America, same thing as the Lacrosse. Exactly <laughs> the same thing. And I think, that's a little bit more serious because Pajero is known um, to mean, you know, that lewd term in, in other places. It's, it spans a couple different countries and, and it's been, it's been around a while. It's been they around a while. They should have caught that. They should have caught that. They did not do their homework there. But um, keep in mind, going back to the lacrosse, that's a, a very popular sport 
in in French Canada too. So it's just it's not quite as big a blunder. Another one that people don't realize is Pontiac had a version, uh, a car called the uh, STE, which was a performance version of the, the Pontiac 6000. 6, yeah. STE is the abbreviation for female saint in French. And again, in Quebec, that was considered profane. So uh, they had to come up with some other name, and I don't know what they, they came up with, but it was not at the STE in, in Canada after a while. And the Ford Pinto, I mean, we're going back here, but in Spanish can be slang for little male part. <laughs> and so, I'm, I'm sure there weren't as many lawyers around then to check the... Uh, well, the Pinto, though, I don't think was ever sold outside of the, the U.S. market. I, I think it was sold in Mexico, no? I don't know. Because that's another uh, one. Everyone likes to use the, the Chevy Nova. Oh, wow as the perfect example of a name that didn't work uh, outside of the United States because in Spanish, Nova means it doesn't go. But I lived in Latin America, uh, and when the Chevy Nova came out from day one, they called it the Chevy Two, Roman numeral two. They never called it the Nova. So all this talk about how dumb GM was calling it the Chevy Nova, I'd, I'd, I need somebody to prove to me that that car was actually sold as the Nova in Spanish-speaking markets. I don't believe it was. Might have been uh, imports from the United States to those countries, uh, or exports from the U.S. to them, but uh, they were never marketed, I don't believe, as the Nova in Mexico or, or in South America. Well, and I, I think it has been an urban legend that's gotten a little out of hand, but uh, if you think about it, too, it's one of the easier naming blunders to talk about in a marketing textbook. It's a lot easier to, to talk about that and less taboo than, let's say, the Pajero or the Lacrosse. Um, also, uh, on another level, uh, there were so many opportunities where people um, working for the company would have had to translate user manuals or, or other things that it would have been caught. Um, and also, a, a third thing kind of discounting that is, Nova, yes, it means does not go, but the way that you would say a car doesn't go would be, you know, no funciona, or there's a, it's not exactly the right verb. So um, there's a lot of things that are, that weaken that myth. Well, my favorite was when uh, Gerber Baby Foods first went to Africa in certain African nations where they put jars on the shelf with a picture of a smiling baby that said baby food. People were horrified because they thought it was a chopped up baby in the jar. <laughs> and that one I do know is true. And then my other favorite one was when Pepsi first went to China their slogan, come alive, join the Pepsi generation, became translated, you know, word for word into Chinese as it will bring your ancestors back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, oh. some, there's some good funny ones out there, yes. too. But uh, anything else that we haven't touched on that we should? How about um, when I went to New York to work on uh, an advertising account, it was for Datsun. And then because it was Nissan in Japan, but they decided it was going to be Datsun here. And then they switched. After a couple of decades. Yeah. You know, I mean, the name Datsun was we, embedded we, in this market. We Are Driven was one of the most more famous automotive ad campaigns for Datsun. And then they just flipped a switch and said, ah, we're going back to Nissan. It was just like, you got to be kidding me. 
That was tough. What, what do you make of that, Nina? Somebody taking a very well-recognized name, and it, it was a good brand name. It wasn't yeah. a problem with it, and, yeah. and then changing it. I don't actually know much about the switch, but I definitely think it was a risky move um, You know, to, to go from one to the other and then back again. It's one thing to generate a new brand, but the flip-flopping definitely creates a lot of confusion, just like we were talking about with, with Lincoln, if they were to ever switch back, you know, it's, it's not really a great move. I mean, now they're, they're the kind of company that can pour in enough marketing and, and positioning dollars that they can ease the transition. But um, it was definitely risky, I'd say. What, what, what about companies that keep changing the name because they build a product and it's not a very good product and it develops a reputation as not being very good. So when they redesign it, even though it might just be a, a pretty light refreshing, they'll change the name on it. You know, Ford went from on their mm -hmm. minivans from Aerostar to Windstar to uh, missing what the last one was. Winds no, it was a Ford. It was a... Yeah, we can't even remember. That's how memorable it was. Well, what but about the, the Taurus and the well, 500? Right. You know, that was a full circle, too. Right. So what, what do you make? Uh, it, is it worth changing the name, or is it worth just getting the product right and keeping the name? In that instance, when it's, um, like I was talking about before, you have the personality, which is the, the manufacturer, and then you have the individual models, which are the traits, those are, are easier to switch that name because if people are starting to associate um, bad things with the model, it's really hard to shake that. So, you know, what they're doing with switching uh, names that contain star, you're kind of paying homage to that last name. You're, you're tipping your hat to the fact that there was star in the name, but it's the next star. It's the newest star. So I do think that that's wise because you're, you're distancing yourself from the negative points. One of the things uh, the Japanese in particular are, are lauded for, Toyota and, and Honda especially, is not changing the names of cars. I mean, the Honda Accord has been around a long time. The Toyota Corolla, even longer. Camry. The Camry has been around long enough now. And uh, so you have this enormous amount of knowledge on the part of the public, or recognition, I should say, not knowledge, on the part of the public. So, I mean, even though... Uh, the Detroit Three have been notorious for changing names of cars. Maybe in your book, you're saying it's the right thing, but then you got to spend a ton of money to get that name established, the new name. But the, I guess the way I'm looking at it is the names like, or the cars like Corolla and Camry are, are really solid cars that didn't need much facelifting. They were strong in and of themselves. And so it, it can really be argued either way. Um, because if you do too much flip-flopping, then that will definitely dilute your brand. But if you have this strong machine that is consistently passing tests and making your customers happy, then why, re why if it's not broken, don't fix it. And what do you make of what Gene uh, brought up of Ford? They had the Taurus, and then they dropped it, and then they brought out this car called the 500, and then they changed its name to the Taurus, and now they've completely redesigned the car and still calling it the Taurus. Uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, it's I mean, too much flip-flopping. I, I, can, I can dissect, you know, f Ford 500, yes, you have alliteration there. You can see benefits on a micro level with each. You have Ford 500 and then you have Ford Taurus. So there's internal rhyme there with, with the uh, OR sound. The, the Ford and Tor, you're saying those go together well. Right, right. But um, I would have to know a little bit more about why they did so much 
why did they flip back and forth so much, you know? They didn't have the money at the time to spend, to seed a new name, which is the 500. And, and uh, their CEO, Alan Mulally, said, we're going back to Taurus. People know the name. Well, so, that, their market study showed I, there yeah. was incredible the name. name recognition on the part of Taurus and zero with 500. Yeah, because it was only out maybe a year. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a long time and a lot of money, at least $100 million, at least, to seed it. At least. At least, yeah. $100 million, $100 million just to put a name in somebody's brain that they recognize Absolutely. It. And, and even then, there's no guarantees. Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a real, it's a tough thing. Well, and, and plus Detroit has a short intention span. So it's like if things don't really work out in a quarter, everyone's looking at their watches, you know. <laughs> you can't do that, and that's why the Japanese have been successful with their naming. Because it's, like you mentioned, the Civic. The Civic has been around for a long time. And they might have done Civics that weren't so great, but they've stuck with the name, and now it's got this accumulated credibility. And whereas Detroit, you know, the short attention span thing has killed them. And they had more names to put out there, yeah. too, because yeah. they had more brands. Yeah, more brands, <laughs> more names. and yeah. Real good. Well, we ought to wrap this up at this part. But uh, Nina Beckhart from uh, Namebase, thanks so much for coming on AutoLine Detroit and uh, educating me, certainly, on names. And Gene Halliday from AdAge and Peter DeLorenzo from Auto Extremis. Great having both of you here. And thank you for tuning in on the web. <laughs>